Hey guys, welcome to episode 34 of the 1023 Soul Shop Talk podcast. Today we've got a little bit of a new format and uh, we'll see how it works out. I think I think it'll be fun. Today's episode, like normal, is sponsored by us, 1023 Diesel, um, this podcast. And all of its glory is completely free uh, because, well, we pay for it. Um, but one of the things that's really beneficial that especially has come out of this podcast is our build plan. So if you are a 7.3 person, you own a 7.3, and you're looking for advice on your build and before you get into it and hopefully to prevent you from making mistakes and parts purchases. Um, if you go to our website, 1023, so 1023diesel.com and then click on the plan, your build tab, um, you can fill out that form and then schedule a time to talk to us and, uh, and we can spend about 30 minutes or so talking about your truck. Um, also today we may be charging in the future. We, we may start charging for our custom tuning for the PHP Hydras. And we'll talk a little bit about, um, why, um, we're going to do another section on covering your questions. So just emails that we've been sent over the last week or so. Um, we're going to answer some of the questions from those emails. And then our new segment, we have uh, automotive news and trends. So um, that's going to be added to the end here. And for sure, if you guys want, let us know um, what you think about it. So, you know, we can keep preparing. It does. We've actually, we've got quite a lot of time into uh, planning just like finding articles and what to talk about and making sure that it's like somewhat useful and I'm, we're happy to do it. Just know that it's a lot of work and we won't do it if it's not appreciated. So if you can, uh, if you're on uh, Apple podcast, you know, drop a comment in there and let us know if you're watching on YouTube, put a comment on there, let us know you appreciate it or not. And, or you can shoot us an email to media, M E D I A at one zero two three diesel.com. So, uh, so we might be charging for tuning. Um, in the past, we ne- we didn't we haven't charged for custom tuning when you purchased injectors from us, and we may start. And it's kind of been like when we when we first got into this scene, like it was there was a lot of people that were just giving away like can tunes without support or something for free, um, and a lot of companies were charging like partial price for tuning when you purchase injectors, and we you know. Honestly, as a as a way of being new but still being like valid in the market, um, we didn't charge for we didn't charge for custom tuning with injectors, and it was um, you know it did you know help kind of get our name out there, um, and it's been that way ever since. So the problem that we're running into now is that almost all of the tuning that we support is is tuning that's included with parts. And so we have like basically no income from tuning, even though we have like an entire, like one entire position, like Vaughn's entire position is supporting tuning. And so, um, you know, and that's been fine because that facilitated that people would buy parts from us and also through like, our education side of things made good choices on parts. And so it was, you know, it's become a very smooth process. Um, and I, and I was okay with it because, you know, we sold more, more parts that were profitable by offering tuning with them. Cause it was, you know, a better value to you guys that were buying. Um, I think I want to say something as far as clarifying, um, the idea of the the can tune option, right? I think it's important to note, right? That I think what sets us or anybody in the custom tuning space apart, and I think it's important for everybody to understand, the only difference between your quote-unquote can tunes and your custom tuning for your 7.3 liter power stroke is that one has support and one doesn't. They're the same files, they're built the same, they're built for the same vehicle. Yeah. Unfortunately, I can guarantee you're not special in your vehicle. We've come across tens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of them. So um, that being said, again, the, the only difference between your can tuning and your custom tuning, we don't, we can't really know or do anything special for you ahead of time. And I think we've made that pretty clear throughout, you know, however many podcasts that, that we've been on. Um, but the important part being that 
one has support and one doesn't. And we're offering support, right? Meaning that's if there's something that we can change, we can talk about that. We can make those changes for you. And that's the idea when we talk about custom, at least our brand of it. Can't speak for everybody uh, in our market, but I can at least say for us um, what the model is and the product that we sell. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. I was, uh, <laughs> I was trying I was trying to avoid getting into things. We have so many other things to talk about. <laughs> it feels like yeah. all those little details can turn into an entire another episode. But uh, And I think yeah. I just wanted to clarify the idea of yeah. what the, the difference between the services, right? What you're getting. So then you could sort of lead into the idea of why we think it's important um, yeah. from the. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. Moving forward, and we don't know yet like how much or you know when, um, but there will be a time somewhat uh, very in the very near future where we will be charging for tuning. Really, what it comes down to is there's there's two factors. Uh, one, it's a lot of support, and it and it costs us a lot of money, like quite a lot of money, to keep offering something like this, like that is a product and it's a service for free. Um. And on top of that, it's, it's becoming a lot more costly It's getting a lot more expensive to offer this, um, because, you know, partly because of like regulations, like we are, um, working towards making it. So like our tuning is, is like 50 state legal, uh, and usable on, on any, you know, any seven, three, like whatever, whatever we build tunes for, it will be legal for, um, in all States. And that's quite costly. And that's also a piece of moving forward. Uh, like in order for this industry to exist, that has to happen. Like these changes need to be made. And like on top of being costly to begin with, we're adding a massive cost for that also. And so, you know, there's a little bit more to it than that, but the basics are we are going to be charging for tuning. Um, I don't know how much, but it's, it is quite justified and it's quite time in my opinion too. Um, but you know, we are going to try to make it still, it's still, you know, very cost effective for people that are trying to upgrade their trucks. And I think to some degree, we have changed our model of support um, in that we're offering more of it because we're capable of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that has led to quite a few or, or higher than over the years has increased um, to where we are supporting more than we're uh, than the product we're producing. Right. My job, when we talk about my whole position is supporting 7.3 liter tuning, um, throughout the week, we're talking less than 10%, uh, if that, with over a month, um, is actually making adjustments for anybody. The rest is all diagnostics, yeah. right? And w- like we've said over the past few episodes, that's not a direct service that we offer because we can't. Diagnostic usually has to happen uh, when with the vehicle in, in front of you. Right. So yeah. we try our best, but ultimately we have no choice to but to, to to help people understand the decision that we have to make of where the line has to be drawn of us helping you. What this is a support problem. This is a vehicle problem versus, well, this may be a personality thing that you're looking for and we may be able to do it for you or we may not. Um, and I think we're pretty clear about that in our our calibrations term terms and conditions page that I make everybody very aware of. Um, but those are the important things that we've stepped up to do um, over the past few years, um, way more than, than we have. Uh, so yeah. that increasingly is, is getting more difficult to sustain, I think. Yeah. And that, that was something like, I mean, that all on its own, that was, that was something that took a very long time to figure out was like, it, if we're, if we're selling you tuning, we are not selling you diagnostics. That's not what, that's not what you're purchasing. But what happens is when you purchase tuning or you purchase parts and tuning or whatever, um, inevitably it, it ends up falling in our lap that it is our, that it becomes our responsibility like by default to help you make sure your truck runs right. And so like, well, I would say, you know, legally it's not our job to make sure that your truck works right when you decide to modify it. Um, like who else are you going to turn to? That's kind of the question. And so we've tried to build a path where like, yeah, we will, we will from the beginning before you make any choices, let's make sure that you're, you're set up for it. You understand um, the problems that could come along with deciding to modify your truck, like understand all the consequences. Um, 
And if you accept them, you're okay with them. Understand that your truck needs to be prepared for them and you need to be prepared for them. And then once, once you purchase them, be able to support you and knowing that like knowing that you can call us when there's a problem and we, you know, like we accept that responsibility, but if you want us to accept that responsibility, it is going to cost something, which we haven't been charging for. We've just keep offering more and more of that service because it sort of feels like it is like there isn't anyone else who can help you. And so like kind of by default we do. Um, and I think this has been, I mean, well, I think this has been a series of discussions over years and years yes. of what, what's, we know that this costs, if not, we're losing money, you know, quite a bit to some degree, um, with, with the service and over time on average with a series of customers, this is something we've known for a long period of time, right? Yeah. This isn't just like a quick decision by any means. It's taken a long time to try to get to these choices. For sure. And to figure out like how to properly support this. Cause there's, there's not exactly like books written on how to support something like this, or maybe there isn't, I'm just not smart enough how to find them. But I mean, that makes two of us, but sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, I've got a couple questions here. We've got, uh, let's see, I've got, yeah, four questions. We're going to go and run through some of these before we get into, um, automotive news, which I'm kind of excited about. Uh, the first one is from, from Ben says, I just listened to your podcast, episode 32. Uh, he says, I'm really enjoying your podcast, and I have a question about one of your answers. So I'm answering a question about a answer about a question <laughs> from the last one. Um, one of the questions was asking about pairing 180-30 injectors with a KC Stage 2 Turbo, and you mentioned that you did not recommend that turbo for those injectors. He says, I'm running a 175-30 injector and a KC balanced assembly. I love the power, but I'm running into EGT issues when under heavy throttle. Uh, in, he says in the 1023 daily driver tune, I'm just curious, uh, what would you recommend for a drop in turbo? Um, if not a KC stage two, he says, I know that a key T4 kit is the best option. Uh, but I just replaced the up pipes, the turbo pedestal, the back, I did a back pressure valve to lead. I have a 2003 excursion. It's a daily driver, family hauler, occasional tow rig and off road. Okay, uh, if you don't mind, I'm going to jump in here real right away. Yep. There's a few things that stand out to me. Um, and before we would get into anything, into answering any of those questions, first and foremost, as I always preach, there's probably some other stuff that I would ask about. First off, what size are your tires? Where's your altitude or what altitude are you, are you mostly driving around in? If you're over 3,500 feet, you're probably always going to deal with these types of problems. And it's hard to say what turbo, and we could get into that in a little bit, Mm -hmm. uh, is, uh, I'm not necessarily saying that this is immediately a turbo fault. I think we're both in agreement on that right away. Um, but uh, excursions are, are heavy. Um, everybody knows I absolutely hate excursions. Um, if you don't, now you do for a lot of reasons. But one of the biggest ones is uh, just people's expectations with how hefty of a vehicle they are. Um, so that always adds a handful of other uh, complications. So I probably, like I said, want to know a handful more information about altitude um, tire size, if anything's been done there, if you have larger than stock size tires, um, where the EGT issues you're running into, if you're actually seeing, you know, 1300 or higher, um, regularly, um, and you know, about where that's happening on top of that, obviously the biggest things since this has come apart, um, it's basically free to do all of the basic tests. Like we went over in last episode, uh, you know, charge air pressure tests, exhaust, um, leak tests, especially when you've done turbo work, there's a lot of chances for you to, you know, miss something there. Um, fuel pressure. Um, and then the next thing would be a uh, high pressure oil system. If that hasn't been gone through and verified, chances are, um, if you have over 200,000 miles in your high pressure oil pump, no matter what it is, you're probably going to need to look into that. I, I just do that every, every single day, multiple times a day. So yeah, um, those would be all the first things to check out before we jumped into turbos. Yes, exactly. And um, if all those things, let's just say, um, if all those things work out uh, and we go through all that and you still want to upgrade the turbo, um, I would like to answer that I know a T4 kit is the best option um, point first. Uh, a T4 kit is not always the best option. That is That is definitely not true. And you are correct to say that like, especially if you're staying with a 30% nozzle and down. And so like in the case of what we would recommend, it'd be like a, 
180, 30 and down. Um, and especially if you've already done up pipes and the pedestal and all of that anyway, uh, a T4 kit is most definitely not the best option. It would be a very, a very expensive uh, choice to make and likely not be, not be worth it in that the, the, the gain in usable power or drivability of the truck would not, would not very far, if any, exceed what a, a good drop-in turbo would do. And that I think is, it's it's kind of difficult. What you're getting at, to some degree, is the, the financial side of saying, you know, uh, a couple thousand dollars, a little bit over that, um, for uh, no likely no power performance difference. Especially if you're only in the daily driver, you really shouldn't notice any power performance difference there. Um, so a little bit of drivability. And, you know, a couple hundred degrees, maybe off your EGTs, it's kind of hard to justify, especially like you just said, if you spent all of that time and money on replacing the setup that you already have, right, to then spend a couple thousand dollars more um, to replace all of that again, for not a whole lot of added benefit. Would you agree? Yeah, no, it's that's exactly it. And it's like, you know, what I'll say is like, you know, if you hate your money, um, I <laughs> I guess <laughs> go ahead and just spend a crap load of it. But I don't, regardless of, of like how much money you feel like spending on your truck, uh, like worth it is kind of subjective, but I don't think that a T4 kit does always make sense. Like there's a lot of reasons to not put a T4 kit on your truck. And in general, if you're... The, the difference lies in the word best option. I think you and I have had this discussion almost every day of the definition of best between us and a customer. Um, there really is no such thing. And I think I will try my best to preach this as much as possible, at least from here until I come up with a better term is that there is no such thing as just best. Um, so we end up trying to determine what's best for you. Yeah. And that comes to a lot of factors. Like we just went over the financial aspect of that, um, the time investment um, and the potential outcome. So um, what's best right? If we're talking in, in terms of performance, um, there is a little bit of a difference there, but what's best to you? Um, and what are, what are you willing to pay for what's best for you? Right. Yeah. And I would say like, you know, if your if your options are between like a, let's just say a T4 kit with like an S364 and a half SXE, which is, you know, if you were going to go T4 route, with that injector is probably what I would usually choose um, versus a KC stage one or a KC stage two. The power difference is, is not going to be there. Like maybe in some scenarios, the, the three sixty four and a half and a half on a T4 mount option would be like, you'd have a higher threshold for usable power, um, meaning like EGT stay down. And I guess that's about it, but likely not, not worth for most people to spend another 1500 or $2,000 on. I would say likely for most people, that would not be the case. Um, as for like the why I don't recommend the KC stage two for a 30% nozzle, or in this case, he says a 17530. Um, because a KC stage two is not, it's, it's not going to make more, like ultimately make more power, like the larger turbine wheel with that nozzle for the way you're going to use the truck or the reason you would choose that injector is not going to make more power, probably anywhere. Um, it may help lower, uh, exhaust temps a little bit or help lower back pressure a little bit, like wide open throttle at high RPM and a race tune. But I mean, there's a difference in saying, okay, is it going to make more power at the same pedal position? That's really not worth the discussion. That's very complicated. And it would really only matter if we tested every setup on the dyno, which to some degree we plan to do, but that's not really a question we can answer. And I don't think anybody can answer that honestly. Yeah. So answering the question of, is it just going to make more power? Isn't really worth the discussion. Um, especially since we're not comparing, you know, wide open throttle and the highest power tune regardless. Um, and again, uh, that, that would be the only scenario that I would recommend. It's really hard for me to say, cause the rest of the files that we send out, the rest of the calibrations are not meant for the same type of performance aspects. I mean, our goal is performance, but we tend to focus a bit more on drivability in general. And you'll see that throughout my descriptions all over the website. So, and unless we're talking about pure performance, 
I'm not really probably going to engage in a discussion of, you know, 10 or 15 more horsepower at the same pedal position. It's not really something we're going to focus on. Right. right. So, so um, what it comes down to is drivability and the smaller, like KC stage one turbo, if we're just talking between a drop in turbos, um, is going to be more drivable and that's going to be more responsive. Um, basically, you know, in any usable range of the, of the truck, any you know, RPM or pedal range, you're actually going to be using it. Um, the KC stage one is going to be more responsive and more than likely will also help you manage EGTs better too, because it's going to be more responsive at a lower RPM. And so, yeah, going up to a bigger turbo, that's going to make negligible difference in like power, which like I said, that's a, that's a complicated subject. Um, it really just comes down to the usability of the truck and how is it going to drive and where is it going to be able to make, uh, make usable power for you. And that's like a Casey stage one is where, where the, the best fit would be for most people. Um, especially so I think it's fair to sum this up and saying something along the lines of, uh, it probably for most people swapping turbochargers on the drop-in platform from say the, the balanced assembly. Again, I'm, I'm arguing for most people, um, to say a KC or KC stage or one or two, um, may not be worth it, especially if you've just done most of this work. I think for most people, and if you want to disagree with me, um, uh, go ahead. But I think that's pretty fair to say. And I, for most people in this position, um, unless you hate your money, uh, then a T4 kit's probably not that worth it either. Yeah. The only time I'd make the argument for a T4 kit on this size injector because of the choice, the, the reason you would choose this size injector um, is on an old body style truck that you also are going to be intercooling and still needs up pipes and a pedestal and a downpipe and all of that stuff anyway. Um, then it starts to make sense um, because it's going to cost about the same amount of money. Um, and it does open you up for some other options down the road. But other than that, like I, I definitely wouldn't go the T4 route. And then um, I guess there's one other thing I wanted to say that that uh, just kind of led into this when we talked about fuel injectors. Just one brief little thing. I see this all the time. Um, I think it's very important that everybody understands that you should choose a fuel injector size based on performance, price, uh, and performance goals, and then drivability. So I guess I kind of overlap two of those. But those are of the most important that we're always going to talk with you about. You don't pick a fuel injector size, in our opinion, and we won't really help you very much with this in this scenario because of this um, and how often we see it. Uh, you need to pick a fuel injector size uh, for all of those reasons. Drivability, um, performance goals, and um, uh, money-wise for you. So those would be the things you pick a fuel injector size for, not because you bought other parts and you need to just make them work, right? Um, so I think it's pretty important that you should pick fuel injectors <laughs> to match what your goals are not to fit the rest of the parts. Yeah. And I would say, I would say it's less common that I see people wanting to buy injectors to fit the rest of the parts. It's usually the opposite. It's like, yeah, I've done all this stuff, but I want to get injectors that are too big because you can turn them down. Right. Which I don't want, I don't have time to go down that road. We're going to run out of time here and we have some other stuff to cover, yeah. but, um, but I would say it's like, it's very common. What I see is, um, probably one of the most common things I see for guys that already know they want to upgrade their injectors and other parts to go with it. And they just like daily drive and tow with their truck is, and I know a lot of people disagree with me on this, but they'll say like, I want to, uh, it's like a two Oh five eighty. Like that's what everybody is. Basically everybody says they want, it happens like every day. Um, but they don't want to do like head studs and valve springs and push rods and a complete fuel system and all those things. Um, and then, you know, my argument always is always, and they say like, Oh, I'm not, you know, I don't need to, I don't need those parts. Cause I'm not going to make, I'm not trying to use it to make 450, 480 horsepower. It's like, well, then why, why put a 20580 in it? Like the only, like you wouldn't need the head studs and valve springs and push rods and fuel system and all that stuff to go with it. If you're not going to use the power, but then why put those injectors in it and deal with the issues of a larger nozzle and spend more money on it? If you're not going to use the power, it doesn't make sense. So then being practical about what is your actual goal. And I think like, it's, it's easy to say like pick an injector for your goal. And that's true, except you have to figure out what your goal is first and why. And that's, that's usually what the struggle is. Sure. Yeah. 
Um, and of all of this, this discussion we've had multiple times, um, I think our last episode, uh, covered quite a bit on, um, your, your daily driver tow guys, um, that want to go with a much oversized fuel injector. Um, when my argument and, and still will always be, if you don't plan on using it, there's no point, right? You're just shifting your window of drivability up into the higher horsepower range where you're not likely to use it and you're reducing your effective horsepower range um, in the range that you want to use it. So uh, then you lose your drivability. That's effectively what's happening. So there's no reason to do that, especially if our first questions are along the lines of, do you even use what you already have? Are you wide open throttle all of the time in whatever program you have in the fuel injector size you have and it's still not enough? If you're not, then you're probably not using it and we can do plenty for you to make up for that difference. Right. So um, just just in calibration. So if you want to work with us on that, um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to help you uh, achieve those types of goals. Right. If you're looking for that. Um, right. Just understanding that if you aren't using the horsepower you already have, then understanding that you still probably have more room to go. Um, and there's really no sense in sacrificing your drivability for horsepower that not only do you not use now, but you're likely never to use. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go ahead and skip the number two and number three here because we're running out of time, but, and I do want to get into the new stuff. Um, I'm going to go ahead and skip to number four here. This one will take a couple minutes to cover and then we'll get into our news topics. Do you think we cut out some of that junk in the middle there then? Yeah, we'll leave it. The other ones are questions we've already answered. So okay. All right. So this 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 is a good one. Um, so many questions that we'll probably just answer with no, 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 no. But we'll see. It says hello. Uh, thank you for your time. I've got a 2001 F three fifty seven three Dually. It's an automatic with two hundred thirty thousand miles. Um, the truck pulls ten to fourteen thousand ten to fourteen thousand pound fifth wheel toy hauler. Um, I have a few questions. Number one, what is, what is the minimum compression? <laughs> um, yeah, it doesn't work like that. So compression matters. Like, I'm going to give you a very general overview. There's no, like, I wouldn't say that the, there's a number that means compression is bad and there's not a number that means compression is good. Um, what matters the most is that compression is consistent. So if you've got, you know, seven cylinders at 400 PSI, and then you've got one cylinder that's at, you know, 300 PSI, um, you've got a compression problem on one cylinder, which means you need to probably consider rebuilding the engine. You've probably got some damage, uh, like 300. Oh, I, I like to bring up these questions a lot. And so a lot of customers, no matter what the setup is, I will why are you asking? ask. <laughs> that's what I like to ask is like, why are you asking that question? Yeah. Well, <laughs> okay. So a lot of customers uh, will get confused when I ask them, uh, what is your compression? And I will ask just about anybody, regardless of their setup, if they've ever tested it, just to ask them. If they if they have the numbers, that's usually a pretty good step, um, depending on what the question and concern is. Um, as far as the, the calibration side of things and what I have to deal with in support, I like to know your compression information if you have it. Because if you're not maintaining, if you don't have engine compression, um, well, even if they're, they're all even, but if the engine is evenly low on compression all the way around... Um, well, then you have a, a low efficiency engine, right? And that's a big problem because that's extremely difficult to diagnose. Um, and so plenty of customers have come to me and I hit the, I, I stop them at the, the brick wall of, I need you to test compression before we go any further, because this is going to be a massive waste of time. Um, if your engine low in compression and believe it or not, this happens quite often. Yeah. Um, I'd say probably once a week, uh, we get a, a, a at least me a, at least one low compression engine, whether it be a single cylinder down um, or the entire engine down, or customers that have rebuilt their engine or are planning on rebuilding their engine because they're low in compression. Those are all pretty important. These engines do wear just like any other engine, and they will be low in compression. If you're concerned about it, um, it's pretty easy to test. Overall, I think it's important uh, that you understand that if you know your engine or you're concerned about your engine being low in compression, um, you should test it. And right. contrary, um, contrary to popular belief, uh, 7.3s are not a million mile engine. I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that became a thing that everyone, like so many people call me and they're like, yeah, it's a million mile engine. It's got, it's only got 250,000 miles on it. I'm like, bro, you need, you probably need an engine. <laughs> like, right. Like that's all, that's not no miles. Like I wouldn't just count on it that it's a quarter of the way to dying. There's a lot of variables sure. there. 
So. Uh, right. And, and we joke about this a lot because we get it a lot. Um, and the fact being that we do handle quite a bit of customers that have major engine failures or major rebuilding engines because of minor or major uh, engine failures, such as a single cylinder compression loss, crack pistons. What what I tend to come across of, of when I usually ask customers why they rebuilt their engine, what caused them to do this, um, usually falls along lines of crack pistons um, or uh, ringlands. Um, are usually pretty common, and we could get into a whole story of what what that is. I'm probably not the right guy to, to answer those questions, but yeah. um, they fail, and they fail pretty often. Um, so I think that's pretty important for people to understand. I'm not trying to scare anybody, but I am trying to let you know if you come to me and tell me that you have a 230,000 mile engine, and you're not expecting me to be a little bit leery of the situation, being that you may, especially if you're concerned about what your compression is, um, that I'm going to hit you with you probably shouldn't go any further until you test it. And if it's low in compression, I really don't want to help you in the sense of there's nothing I'm going to do to fix that. And anything we tried to do is going to be a bandaid and you need to worry about your engine and repair it. Yeah. Um, question number two on, on the, from Michael, uh, CCV going into a quite a catch can. Yes. No pros or cons. Uh, from the emission standpoint, the answer is yes, needs to be in a catch can. Um, and overall, I think that's pretty important. There are plenty of different types that you can install. Some people make some pretty, uh, pretty uh, sick ones uh, that you can get your hands on. Yeah, um, you got to be leery sure. of it because like, especially like up here in Alaska, like there's a pretty big problem with them freezing and like the breathers on them freezing. And then you will just start blowing seals out. So I, yes, if you're in a climate like that isn't 30 below zero, you know, it could make sense. Or if you have a way of making sure that it doesn't freeze, that's probably fine. Uh, but they do condensate if it's in a cold climate and they, they can freeze. I mean, that comes back to a question of why like, there's probably a good chance if your truck is fairly stock that you should just leave it where it is in your intake. That's my argument. I would I would 100% agree if you have the opportunity to leave it factory routed, leave it factory routed or route it um, if you can, if you have some amount of custom intake to route it um, in the factory position, um, because I, I would argue that that's the, the easiest and best and overall um, not going to get yourself in trouble um, scenario. Um, and that's really the only thing that, that we can advocate for. Um, but as far as externally routed, um, I suppose you probably should look up uh, your locality, but as far as what we can tell you to do, uh, catch can would be the, uh, the only option for that. Yeah. Um, question three, why do you suggest a lower horsepower for towing? Uh, which is a, this, it's the, it's a very big misunderstanding of what we've been talking about forever. It's not that, it's not that we say you should make less power to tow with or that like it, it's, it's like, that's not the point. The point is that one, your truck was, was made to handle uh, like your whole truck, the cooling system, the, um, the hard parts, like the components in the engine and the transmission and your drivetrain were made to be stock at, you know, 175 to 275 horsepower. Um, the further you deviate from that one, you have limits of, you know, the, your turbo is at whatever altitude your turbo is only going to be able to, to handle, let's say like use common terms, like handle so much fuel. You're only going to be able to make so much power without having EGT problems. Um, you're only gonna be able to make so much power before you cause like damage to hard parts. You're only going to be able to make so much power before your cooling system does not have the threshold to keep up. And so it's not that we suggest a lower horsepower number for towing. It's that if you're actually working your truck, there, you are going to have like mechanical limits to how much power you can make and that your build should be geared towards what you're actually doing with it. And if that is working with the truck, don't try to make more power than what it's capable of. Don't like we've talked about already in this podcast, don't buy injectors that are too big for what you're actually going to be using them for. So you're going to cause yourself more headaches than it's worth and probably spend more money than it's worth. Don't buy a turbo that's way too big for what your usable range um, of the truck is going to be because it's just going to drive worse. It's not going to be of any benefit to you. So it's not that we suggest a lower power for towing. It's that it's necessary to make your build 
geared towards a usable power for working it. So the idea, the 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 theor- theoretical topic here is duty cycle or um, build designed at a duty cycle. So how much horsepower is the engine producing over what period of time? Okay. So again, we talked about cooling capacity, right? The engine, the cooling system. So that involves uh, passages, um, the head design, pump, uh, radiator, um, everything in your cooling system fan. What they were designed to sustain as uh, the heat from the the, the engines capable of producing or waste heat um, being expelled from the radiator at a certain over a certain period of time. So how much heat energy can the radiator uh, remove or sustain removal of over a certain period of time? That's that would be your cooling system. Um, aside from the rest of the engine build. Right. Talk about, again, how much power was everything built to sustain over what period of time? Right. And that comes down to a percentage that we typically refer to as duty cycle. What are you what do you need your vehicle to do over what period of time? So that comes into, yes, these vehicles can make more power for shorter durations. The idea being the more power you're making, the less time you can make it. And maintain. Well. A handful of things. So yeah, but now, be, now you just now you just brought up a new set of questions. We're gonna get well. How much power can I make if I want to run my truck for another one hundred and fifty thousand miles? Vaughn, can you <laughs> answer that one for me, please? <laughs> can, you run, mean, can you run that calculation I, for me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I by that I don't mean time of mileage. I mean time of uh, when you're while you're making power, how long you can make that power for. <laughs> so yes. Um, okay, fun. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm sure last question. In and I'll We're out of time. We got to get to news because I'm excited for news. I only got like 20 minutes left. What would you consider an average oil usage? You can answer that one. <laughs> uh, none. <laughs> you really should be using oil. Uh, overall, I mean, assuming you don't have leaks, and I know everybody has leaks, um, I, I'd argue you probably should try your best to, to, to fix your leaks. Um, I'm one of those kind of perfectionist people. I fix all my leaks as much as possible. Um, and I've never really had an oil consumption problem and I don't think many people do. So overall, as far as, uh, engine design is concerned, uh, in these particular vehicles with the oil capacity that they have, I would argue, um, that not, that really should be a question. Uh, if you're concerned about it, you need to look into it. Other than that, uh, you really shouldn't be consuming measurable amounts of oil over oil change intervals. Yeah. I'm gonna leave it there. And just so you know, Michael, if you do end up seeing this or I'm not making fun of you um, by any means. I understand like your point of wanting to know what these answers are. Uh, You're not the only one asking these questions. Definitely not. Don't worry. Um, Including us many, many years ago asked the same thing. So, uh, or the same types of questions, but what would you like, what would you consider the average oil oil usage to be? Um, It's like, if your truck is using enough oil to be like, "Hmm, I wonder if that's normal. Um, you probably have a problem and by, um, like usage, if you mean like consumption, like it's burning it, um, then I would definitely figure out why, uh, because like any like largely measurable amount could be a problem. And I think that combines with the compression, um, question. So depending on if we spoke, if if we would end up speaking over the phone where that would end up leading to, or if you came into the shop, I'm sure they'd have a million other things to go with. But, uh, if your questions are, are paired together like that, are you worried about compression and you're worried about oil usage? Um, then you, you may want to look into it. Assuming that you're new to this, that's a different story. If this is your, your first, uh, seven, three power stroke, um, then I suppose, and maybe you haven't gone through this yet, then I guess I wouldn't worry about it too much and just keep your eye on it. Um, but uh, if you're not new to this and you're concerned about it, then I would be concerned about it. Yeah. Um, last one here. So he says he's running a, uh, running a TS chip, uh, four inch exhaust, air, air intake, um, blank pedestal, and uh, a, a riffraff billet wheel. Um, and he said he doesn't know what's installed for fuel injectors. Um, Probably the easiest way to find out if they're just like factory style fuel injectors would be that it's a super duty. So just remove the TS from the PCM. And if the truck idles smoothly at a hot idle, then it's probably stock injectors. Um, That'd be like the first step. What I can say 
is that um, we will deny you custom tuning services unless you know exactly what those fuel injectors are or you're willing to waive support. Okay, so if you're concerned that these may not be factory fuel injectors or you're having symptoms that maybe are either I mean, chances are what we end up finding is they're probably fuel factory fuel injectors. They're just worn or have problems or there are multiple other problems with the vehicle. And the customers are are concerned that, well, maybe they are modified fuel injectors because it doesn't seem to be running right. Uh, that's a whole different story. And you, you should know that we can and will deny support um, or discuss that with you at least ahead of time. Um, if you're if you don't know what size fuel injectors you have and um, you may or may not be having issues with them, the only way you're really going to know is, well, have a, get a receipt from the previous owner um, or find some way of verifying what they are, because usually the only way to know that is is having uh, paperwork beforehand. Um, aside from that, chances are you're probably going to have to risk pulling all the fuel injectors out and getting them sent um, and tested. Yeah. Um, once you get those results back, then you'll know what the fuel injector size is, and then you can let us know. Okay, there, there's no amount of guessing and checking, and you wouldn't want us to do that either because there can be tons of problems if we don't know what size fuel injectors they are, let alone who manufactured them and about when they were manufactured. Okay, those are all not only drivability problems, but uh, you don't want us to cause you engine damage because... I don't know how the vehicle is driving after you get it. So I'm just relying on you to say it runs great or doesn't. So that, that could really mean anything. So if you're, even if um, uh, you don't have factory fuel injectors and the idle performance problem, isn't that noticeable depending on the year they were made, they may not uh, be that noticeably uh, different around hot idle. Um, And so you may have been driving it with these problems. um, And then we open up a whole set of problems when we send you custom tuning for it and you're not ready. Um, So long story short, if you tell us you don't know what size fuel injectors you have, um, we can't really help you. You need to get those injectors out and tested. um, Or you need to be aware that you may not ever get it correct and you may end up doing damage to the vehicle um, or overall just having poor drivability. Yeah. Um, lastly, he says he wants help getting his truck into best towing shape for upcoming camping season. Um, any help would be appreciated. Um, Michael, um, I'll of course reach out to this guy, but, uh, yeah, stuff like that. Your best to just call us, um, schedule a build plan. Like we mentioned earlier on our website and, uh, and we can kind of little dig into the details more on something like that. All right. Now my, now Mike's the part I've been excited about this whole time. Uh, automotive news. So this is going to be sort of a short segment because one, we don't have a lot of time and two, it's, it's kind of the beginning and it's quite a bit of work to format something like this. Um, there isn't like a lot of uh, big automotive news happening. So our goal is with the, the news segments is going to be covering um, like everything automotive, whether it be uh, like new parts that are being built um, or uh, like, electric vehicle stuff. Um, today we're covering like, like trends. So SEMA, um, SEMA posts, they do like market research and, um, they have like statistics and stuff that they put out there. And so we're going to cover some of the, the trends stuff that they've pointed out. Um, and, uh, yeah, anyway, be pretty cool. Um, so the first, the first segment here, this is, uh, this is going to be linked below if you want to grab these, um, from SEMA but this is going to be in their um, future trends documentation uh, as of January, 2022. And let me get so, down. What's that? I think it's an, uh, I, I did want to say um, important notice about as far as these SEMA documents go, I, plenty of documents and the, the news sections we're getting into. It's mostly just going to be, like you said, kind of like a brief overview or, or what we kind of took away and, and we'll try our best to maybe break down. At least that's kind of my goal. Um, but I care a lot about data as well. So I think, uh, like you said, this is the market research team um, at SEMA. There's, I think, three, uh, or at least there were three notable um, people that that compile this information and produce these documents. Uh, I don't. I think they only produce a handful of them once or twice a year. Um, but they are uh, like we're going to be talking about the, uh, the prediction trends um, and some of uh, just market research um, as far as. Uh, mostly the entire automotive field. So that covers uh, new vehicles, old vehicles. Um, I just manufacturing. We talk about manufacturing, um, uh, production, uh, shipping, uh, 
you know, retailers, the, the entire industry at large, I suppose. Um, and so a handful of people that compile that information. Um, and as we go through some of these articles, I'll try my best to uh, throw out uh, the, the information uh, or where they get their information from, what, are, what articles and statistics, because most of this research um, that SEMA compiles, um, those researchers were compiling off of um, sources like the, the Bureau of Labor Statistics um, and other larger industry um uh, yeah article right? well and if you get if you jump down in the comments or in the uh, description and you want to go download these um, pdfs uh each slide at least as far as i can tell each slide has um has the source listed at the bottom of it so yes. um you can check that out too and so um, this is their data collected this is not data that we collected we're just reviewing it um so did you want to start on slide 15 here sure um this was the so this was the prediction for electric vehicle sales rising um, starting in 2015 through 2035. So the electric vehicle sales rising gradually. Um, this this document is showing like um, the amount of sales, like starting in 2015 through 2035, um, the amount of... Uh, so they're showing market share of vehicle uh, by fuel type. Um, so in the attached documents, if you end up finding it, um, they're showing from, they start at 2015 and they're predicting what the market may look like, uh, or market share may look like across, uh, vehicle fuel types. Yeah. So the, the largest by far, so even starting from 2015 all the way up to, we can say at 2020, the largest being gasoline, the next largest, uh, honestly, uh, looks to be hybrid. They didn't really break down exactly the percentage here. Um, but throughout uh, the, the trends, they're predicting that diesel pretty much stays the same, considering our audience is probably mostly focused on that. Um, but uh, diesel-powered uh, vehicles are the smallest market share, um, aside from electrics up until about 2021. Um, and they're predicting that, uh, I would say, mostly uh, the electric and hybrid vehicles they, they plan on expanding are taking up most of the market share of the gasoline vehicles, with the predicted uh, sales amount being roughly the same, right? So they're estimating a, a little over 17 million um, the vehicle powertrain sales. Um, and that was where the trend sort of started in about 2015 in the beginning. Mm -hmm. um, it dipped off quite heavily in 2020, all the way up through you know the beginning of 2022, where we are here, um, their predictions, but they're predicting that it kind of stabilizes back around 17 million. Um, and from their predictions, it looks to be that they're expecting hybrid and electric vehicles, um, plug-in hybrids among them, um, being, uh, mostly consuming up the, the gasoline, uh, market share, which is quite large, right? Um, and yeah. the diesel market share seems to be, they're, they're expecting it to drop off slightly, um, throughout the next, what are we dealing with, uh, 12 years, 13 years, um, yeah. So obviously it's sort of a prediction. I'm not, I'm not a data analyst or into predictions. However, the, however these things are ran, but, um, I would expect that it would be like, like the diesel, the fact that basically since the beginning of this document, so 2015, like actual data that we have from the past, like 2015 through 2021, um, diesel sales have been basically the same. Like it hasn't really changed much. Um, nothing notable anyway. And, and it's, I mean, it's a very small part of, of, um, uh, light vehicle powertrain sales. And I'm guessing by light vehicle, I mean, are they referring to like pickups also, or are they trying to say like light duty being, I, I, uh, from what I understand here throughout their, their articles being anything that's, that's on road under the, uh, 12, five or sorry, the, the, uh, 22, 500, uh, weight yeah. rating, I believe. Right. So anything under, of um, uh, commercial, right? Them, I guess. So diesel sales have been remained about the same. If nothing, um, matter of fact, they're showing 20, uh, 2020 had a massive drop and 2021, um, from the average, um, vehicle sales, uh, just overall vehicle sales, but diesel sales, um, actually were higher than, than previous. They were growing. I would say they were about the same because of the, the we're talking percentage wise. Um, and this isn't an accurate graph, right? So this isn't actually broken down. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's I think it, it, it may have increased a bit, but I'd imagine 
I think my argument would be that it, it stayed about the same. It stayed stable, at least, um, yeah. compared to the rest of the market, most notably being uh, gasoline vehicles. Yeah. And I, decreased. I can understand why diesel sales would remain, you know, fairly like about the same over time and why that would be predicted too is because like, you know, it's, it's somewhat understandable that you could replace, you know, your, your grocery getter with a, with an electric vehicle or a hybrid. Um, it's just, it's, you can't, you can't haul your, you know, your trailers and, um, the things you would use a truck for it can't be replaced by an electric vehicle anytime soon. Like it's just not going to happen. So like, I don't think that's probably going to change. So that's encouraging anyway. Um, to some degree. I mean, I think there's a lot of different angles, you know, we could look at, but that's where we're in news, at least in this topic. Um, so I just think it's important to, to bring that information as well as um, I'm sure plenty of our, our audience uh, isn't particularly excited about, um, you know, the, the electric market. Yeah. Um, I think it's, but, cool. I think the electric market is neat. I'm not, I'm, I'm not against it by any means. Um, there's, that's certainly a large topic to get into though. Right. So did you want to jump into the next section here? So one of the big things, um, that, uh, has affected all of us, um, and us at, at, at 1023 personally is, has been some of the supply chain talk. And SEMA had produced, while we were looking through some articles, um, they were talking pretty heavily about how they're expecting 2022 to kind of turn around. And their analysts had had produced uh, some graphs. They had broken down um, what they expected for to be for, for the next few years um, on a per quarter basis. Um, and it, it entitled or it talked about all of the different parts um, about the supply chain that we're going to sort of go through um, and how that affected kind of all of us and what they noticed over the past uh, few years. Um, so this is uh, their source is McKinsey uh, and company. Um, and they have a couple different articles that they uh, cite for, for these. Um, but they were overall saying that they sort of expected 2022 and later um, to be a big recovery period for the supply chain. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think we kind of both agree that that may not be, uh, completely true or a little over hopeful. Um, well, based on the data that we can cover here, it doesn't seem likely. Right. So, uh, they break down a few things. So on page 35 here, we, we were talking about, um, availability, um, of products across uh, all of the automotive segments. Um, they were talking about, uh, manufacturers being able to uh, receive products and their different sources of, of purchasing products or um, materials to, to manufacture products. Um, and then everything from uh, distribution, um, you know, uh, storage warehouses, uh, redistribution and uh, retail. Yeah. So when McKinley, uh, sorry, McKinsey and company ran, um, uh, conducted a, a survey and they showed that, uh, of the people, all the participants in their survey, 62% of them um, stated that they were wanted to purchase something that wasn't available or was out of stock. And of those 62%, 39% of them decided to switch to a different brand or product because what they were looking for wasn't available. 32% um, switched to a different retailer. So, you know, like shop at Walmart instead of Amazon, I guess, uh, it would be a switch between retailers and then between different products or brands would just be like, you know, buying uh, unlimited diesel injectors instead of full force. Obviously that's not what we're talking about here, but um, 13%. I think that could apply to like brake components or fuel, uh, fuel pumps or something along those lines where you end up switching um, turbochargers, whatever uh, you end up switching larger manufacturers um, yeah. or, or any manufacturer rather. Um, versus, oh, you can't find uh, your motorcraft ICP sensor. Hmm. Guess it's right. dormant. Right. Sorry, so guys. 32% of those 62% um, percent, uh, that were consumers in the survey um, switched retailers. And I, yeah. I think we've pretty much experienced that quite a bit. And I think that was our pivot point as well yeah. for multiple different types of products. And it's probably going to continue to be um, such as, would you like to have your vehicle running or would you like to not have it running until, you know, that part <laughs> that may or may not. The, op- the option for, for reliably running well is not there anymore. <laughs> you don't get that choice. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so, so thir- 13% decided to wait to purchase and then, uh, and then 16% decided not to buy. 
I mean, that's, so that, that's what I found quite interesting. The 16% that decided not to buy. I'm curious what that actually looked like. What, what I would be curious what markets that's in. Like specifically, if that's talking about like, I don't, they're not, I, I don't know that this is, this is talking about automotive in general. I think right here, they're just covering like supply chain overall, but um, I would suspect that in the automotive side of things, like, the majority of parts that are purchased are not, they're not stuff you're buying because you just feel like buying it. Like there's a lot, of course there's a lot of people that, that upgrade their, their vehicles, but uh, most of it's like to keep it running. Like maybe it's to keep it running and upgrade at the same time, but like you still parts you need to buy. So like just not buying isn't a choice. So I don't feel like this can apply exactly to automotive, but I'm not sure on that. We can come back. Well, to that. on the, the very next page is actually they uh, SEMA conducted the survey at uh, the the uh, attendees of the SEMA show uh, in 2021 um, and their exhibits. And they, this is actually, I think, a very nice um, graph that they sort of um, uh, produced was um, uh, parts manufacturers are are the category here. Um, and they're saying that about 49 percent of the people surveyed that were parts manufacturers had a saw a significant impact in uh, supply chain, uh, you know, uh, problems. 37% experienced a moderate impact and about 10% experienced no impact at all. Um, but I think that the biggest thing being the, the 49% there um, and then distributors and I don't, I, you know, I think we'd be in a category of, of retailers um, and yeah. installers, but the distributor section, um, which is directly where our impact comes from, um, being 58%. Um, and I think it's pretty fair to say that uh, almost all, if not every um, person in this survey would have been automotive related. Um, yeah. So I think that's quite significant. And it's interesting to see that the distributor section um, was seeing more impact. Um, and I, I, you can look at a bunch of different ways, but I think it's pretty easy to say that manufacturers just weren't able to keep up. Um, and then distributors, well, they still had to sell them or they made promises to sell them. Um, and so I think that that impact became quite high on them. Yeah. Well, here's the problem that I see, like with the prediction that, you know, and, and we're seeing this prediction from every every side of the market um, or every like news outlet is that, you know, things, things are going to get better at the end of this year. Um, why I sort of disagree um, based on um, other things and also this data here is that up to this point, over the last six months to a year, which I believe this was over the last six months is what this specifically was covering, was yep. that there is a very much there's a very big difference. There's a very like way higher percentage of parts manufacturing that has suffered, like had a massive impact or loss of production. Um, there is a, a very large, much larger um, percentage of distrib- distribution. Um, so the people that make the parts, the people that um, warehouse the parts for you to sell it to retailers like us who sell it to you, um, they're way higher. But the retailers, the people like us at the kind of at the end of the line that you would purchase from um, are way lower, have a way lower impact. All that tells me is that it just hasn't hit us hard enough yet because you cannot have the restraints and the lack of manufacturing. Like for a while, your, your, distrib- your distribution can buffer that. Um, there usually is a buffer there. Um, Absolutely. Once that buffer runs out and manufacturing hasn't picked back up or let alone not even pick back up to like keep up now, but like making up for the fact recover. that distribution, yeah, you have to recover. Um, like, I don't think we've, we've seen the peak of this yet. Any, I don't think we're anywhere near the peak of this yet. Um, I mean, we're talking like, like distribution with a massive, like 60% of a significant impact. Um, and we're only at like 40% of re- for on retailers. Of course, this right. is like one small piece of it, but like we haven't seen the impacts yet. So even if manufacturing gets back in place and they are able to get back to normal capacity, it's not going to refill distributions supplies. And then that is definitely where we're going to start seeing issues. And we are starting to see a lot more issues. It's becoming a very big problem, especially from um, out of out of country manufacturing. And I think that was one of the big things too, just to to to, to summarize that part of the uh, a lot of, of of more places than than we had expected, right? So actually, on the very next page, sixty one percent of parts manufacturers changed their uh, or or looked into changing their 
suppliers uh, to be foreign rather than domestic. So there's way more information on this um, that you could follow up on yourself. But the the largest point of that was that a lot of manufacturers not only were having trouble, but their biggest problems were sourcing them domestically um, rather than uh, dealing with the problems of, of sourcing them uh, foreign. So they, they switched their, their sources. So um, beyond that, uh, talking about the uh, the buffer that we're probably running out of right now, I think it's important to maybe think about what that that's going to look like um, when it starts affecting retailers more. So when the distributors are that the buffers run out um, and what those effects actually look like in the recovery process, I'm not so I, I may be a little bit doubtful in saying that I don't think it's going to be something along the lines of, oh, here's we can start selling orders again. We can start selling these products again. Um, I kind of have a feeling that not everybody is financially prepared Um especially the distributors to uh, completely attempt to recover that. And I expect it to probably be a little bit slower than we'd hoped for. Yeah. Well, that's all I got time for today. Uh, I appreciate you guys listening. If you enjoyed uh, covering news topics and we certainly can cover lots more. Um, Like I said, feel free to shoot us a comment, shoot us an email. I would love to hear from you. Um, I've been dusty. I've been Vaughn. See you guys next time.